It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Never seen the sky so blue. The birds are singing, I got nothing to do. Hey, 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 hey. It's a sunny day. Sunny day now. My pocket's empty, my cupboard's bare. But call me illogical, I just don't care. Hey, hey, hey. It's just a sunny day. The survivors who come to our shelter have experienced almost unspeakable horror. KSL Greenhouse. Information and great talk about your home, garden, and your lawn. If you love perennials, can't get enough help on landscape design, or just want to keep your lawn and vegetable garden pest-free, grab a pen. It's the KSL Greenhouse on KSL News Radio. Good morning. Thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Shaleos, Tom Bettis with you this morning. We'll be taking your calls in just a minute. The number you can call with your questions, 801-575-8255. And you can also text us your questions at 57500. This morning we wanted to start out and talk about pulling out the annuals and cutting back perennials. And we've asked J.D. Gunnell to join us. And Tom, a lot of folks know J.D.'s name because he's been on the show with us before, but but why don't you tell people exactly well, what he does? J.D. is a horticulturist based with Utah State University. He works out of Cache Valley and the USU Botanical Center in Kaysville. He is the manager of the USU Arboretum, the Varga Arboretum at the Kaysville Station, but he also has put together several fact sheets on winding the yard down for fall and you know, planting for fall color. And so he's our go-to person when it comes to this. He knows what he's talking about. J.D., thanks for being with us this morning. You're welcome. One thing I'm not good at, though, is technology. So am I having any feedback? Are you okay? You're fine. You sound great. So, J.D., let's talk about what should people be thinking about when they are doing things like pulling out their annuals right now? Well, this this year, or this particular season or time of the year is where I feel very vindicated in my dislike for annuals because you spend a lot of money in the spring. They look beautiful, but then you just end up throwing them away. So there's not a whole lot of skill that takes place there. It's the perennials that come back year after year that I'm a big fan of. Now, I've got to be careful because I just offended half your listeners. Yeah, I know. And you've shown your bias. You put it right out there on your sleeve, <laughs> didn't you? <laughs> but, but the one good thing with annuals is they'll bloom all year long. And so you get that consistent bloom. So that is a, a good selling point. And, and there are some really beautiful bedding plants. But as soon as the cold weather hits, they, they kick the bucket. So you just dig them up, put them in the compost pile or send into the landfill to the green waste, and then purchase the compost back next spring. But um, with perennials, those plants that grow back every year on the same root system, that's the selling point is you, it's a one and done. You plant them, they keep coming back year after year. But the downside of that is they only bloom for two to three weeks in, the, in their season. 
So you, with perennials, you kind of have to do your research and figure out there's early spring bloomers, summer bloomers, and then even fall bloomers. So I've been listening to you guys talk this morning, and fall chores are not my favorite thing. I mean, it's it's my favorite season because mm-hmm. of the colors and things kind of slow down. But doing a few things now makes spring a lot less daunting. And so cutting back perennials uh, is one of those chores. Uh, I, I was going to give a, a selfish plug to Jerry Goodspeed did a post on our s- social media page this last week on it's called the Garden Guys and Gal. Mm-hmm. And what he spoke about was it's kind of a choose-your-own-adventure. You can cut the perennials down after they've kind of naturally wilted or dried down or even frozen like this last week. But if you don't get around to it, like I've been sick all week and I've not been in my yard for two weeks, and if it happened to snow tomorrow two feet and stayed till spring, you could actually go in in the spring and clean them up. You're okay, not... but they look a mess for the entire winter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's why the snow covers them. <laughs> well, if we have enough snow to cover them, though, right? And the snow melts off. So there's my yeah, argument but, Maria, for you. you got <laughs> happy optimism, Maria. We need a lot oh, of snow okay. this year. Okay. Yes, One thing did. I have noticed is that when I have cleaned up perennials in the spring, they're oftentimes slimy and much more difficult to clean up than what I would have done in the fall. So I prefer yeah. to clean them up in the fall just personally because they are less of a mess. Well, and another thing to keep in mind is we've just experienced first winter, and we're about to come into second fall, and we'll probably have a second or third. So, yeah, I know I know a lot of people have been calling my office and the extension office really nervous that they didn't get everything done that they needed to, the fertilizing or the cutting back. It's okay. I think we're supposed to have a really nice week ahead of us. So there's plenty of time to get a lot of stuff done. Um, Talk about the proper way. Talk about the proper way, though, to cut back perennials. Are they all the same? Do you you want to cut them all at the same spot? Or or talk about that for a minute. So we we classify perennials in, in two categories, basically, or generally. And the first one is herbaceous. That means they naturally die down to the ground each year. All of the above-ground portion of the plant is pliable and loose. Those you will. You'll just, they'll naturally just kind of wither up and disappear. And so you just kind of gather those up, cut them at the ground level, throw them away. The other set are woody perennials. And the woody plants, even things like um, lavender or roses and those, those other kind of woody perennials, those you don't prune. You want to wait and do any pruning on woody stuff until late winter when the coldest part of, spring, of winter has gone by, so March, April. Now, there's, there's so many, it seems like there's so many rules but generally speaking, if it's dry and dead looking, cut it off and throw it away. And so you're talking like black-eyed Susans and the liatris and a lot of these that do die to the ground. They're fine to just go in with a knife or pruners or a hedge trimmer and just whack them right back to the ground. Yep, 100%. Yeah, and if it's woody, then wait for spring. Yeah, because... A lot of times what people don't realize, and we talk about this a lot in the spring, is pruning stimulates growth. And you don't want to stimulate any growth 
this time of year. I actually was listening to a an ad not on this station, so you're okay. But there was a, a landscape company promoting, hey, it's a slow time of year, call us, and we'll start pruning your fruit trees now and get ready for spring. And I almost called them to to yell at them, but I am <laughs> a nicer person than that. Well, before but, we go to break, could you describe dividing perennials? We're getting a lot of people calling in saying, when do I divide daylilies? When do I divide black-eyed Susans? When do I divide mums? And what's your general guidelines for dividing perennials? So generally speaking, if something blooms in the fall, like the asters or the sedums, you'll wait and divide those in the spring, right when they're starting to push new growth. If they bloom in the spring, like the early blooming things, like Shasta daisies and those Rudbeckias, those you would actually divide now. So you, you want to do the opposite of their bloom time is when you divide them. That's a great rule. And so what about grasses, like the ornamental grasses? Yeah, grasses have really gained, garnered a lot of favor lately, and I really love them. We have an ornamental grass garden at the Botanical Center in Kaysville, over 200 varieties of different grasses. But the one thing with clump-type growing grasses is after about five, six years, they get really crowded in the center. Mm -hmm. And so they'll actually die out. You'll see kind of a dead ring, almost like um, a receding hairline. (laughs) And so... Grasses really, really benefit from being divided about every five to six years. And you'll dig the whole clump up. You'll cut it with a spade in four to five different pieces. Put one of those chunks back in the hole and give the other set away or expand your garden. All right. Very good. J.D., we've got to go to break, but I appreciate you taking time out of your Saturday to come on. And really, oh, you're welcome. Yeah. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you for your help. We appreciate it. Okay. Happy right. gardening. Okay. Talk to you again soon, J.D. And we'll work on your love for annuals because they do have their place, you know, especially for those of us who love flowers. They, I like annuals. I, I don't encourage people to go crazy on them. I, I'll say that, but I but, didn't plant any this year because yeah, my yard was so devastated. I felt there hopeless. There are annuals that, I mean, I'm not criticizing J.D. at all because I can see, you know, you do spend a lot of money to just no have it, it go up and not really go up and smoke. But there are certain annuals that I just really like that I'm going to plant. I'm just going to mix them in because yes. I like them so much. Number to call with your questions. We'll come back with your questions and comments next. Uh, number to call, 801 801- one five seven five eight two five five. You can text us at five seven five zero zero. Let me give that phone number again: eight zero one five seven five eight two five five. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than eighty thousand Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do? in the face of an international disaster decades in the making. That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.
Thank you for spending your Saturday morning with the KSL Greenhouse. Maria and Ton with you taking your calls, 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. I can tell when I've had too much caffeine because I start talking too quickly and then the numbers come out all jumbled. <sighs> Thank you so much for being when with I us have this to, morning. <laughs> I, as a horticulturist, um, the last few years we've gotten into more recording COVID folks just record more at home and mm-hmm. you know and, and as I've had to start doing some of this I've noticed that I have a, ta- a tendency to talk quickly and I really? have to I've yes not I noticed well that. when I'm trying to I'm record something speed demon. when I try to record something I just talk I trip over my words and I have to force myself <laughs> to speak slowly and clearly because. I just, it sounds like, you know, just the whole, it is, it's a strange thing that you get, strange things you get into sometimes you never thought you would have, but sometimes words are just difficult. Sometimes they are, especially on Saturday morning. Carson has been waiting very patiently in Kaysville. Carson, good morning. What are your questions? Yeah. uh, First question is, um, we have a a choke cherry um, that uh, has, uh, an area where the um, bark has peeled completely away and the bare wood is exposed. And um, uh, last year we uh, started having a woodpecker coming around and uh, pecking at the tree. Um, and we noticed that uh, there were uh, bugs that had infested the tree. And so we got a systemic and put the systemic down. Um, but the woodpecker keeps coming back and we've tried scare tape, but that sort of works. Um, we've heard wrapping burlap around it is a good idea. Just wondering what your thoughts are. Well, it is difficult because woodpeckers are federally protected animals and it's legal to harass them and try to scare them, but you cannot kill them without a permit. Mm -hmm. And so what I would do, and it may not matter but are you may be seeing what's called a sap sucker, which is in the same group as woodpeckers, but they have a narrower beak and they peck into a trunk and suck the sap out of the conductive tissue for their sustenance. And you will see holes all over the, the trunk and lower branches of a tree, almost like someone took a drill every two inches and just drilled here, there, there. And is, is that what you're seeing? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Okay. So you probably have a sap sucker. And USU okay. has a fact sheet, and if you will do an internet search of USU and woodpecker control, the fact sheet includes okay. sap suckers. But you know, wrapping the trunk with burlap, um, you know, screening sometimes on top of the burlap, anything you can do to discourage them is the main tactic for controlling them. But the you may, you know, if it's going to kill the tree or let's say it decided if it was a woodpecker and started pecking on your wood siding and putting holes in it and things, you can get a permit from the DWR to have those destructively harvested. But your main control right now is going to be what you've been trying, you know, exclusion, scaring it and, you know, things of that nature. Okay. What about a scary bird okay. putting in the tree? My dad had this owl that he would put on the roof to keep little wrens out of his uh, roof and things like that. 
Uh, what about a scary bird or something? If it were swapped every few days or once a week at least, that oh. may keep it away. Otherwise, it get but used to it. It does. They quickly oh. adjust and get used to things. And so, yeah. you know, it suggested using like noise. You know, having a speaker go off. You know, maybe set up to a motion detector or set on a timer so it sounds like firecrackers right. or something like Metallica every five minutes. And the neighbors may not like that that much, but it, <laughs> those are the kinds of things it's recommending. Okay. Um, and then one last question. Um, and I, the, the previous, the guy that you had on previously may have answered my question, but um, uh, general time to prune trees back, it seems like. Uh, March or April seems to be the best. Yeah, time. between right? depending on what it is, between mid January and April, most stone fruits will stone fruits mid March, apples and pears mid February, shade trees sometime late mid January to mid February. I see. Okay. Okay. That helps out a lot. Thank you very much. Great, Carson. Thanks for calling this morning. Uh, next listener wants to know, they have a question about pulling out annuals. They're wondering if they can just cut them at the base. What is, Or do they have to pull them out by the they roots? Don't need and what to would be, be the advantage of either one? They don't need to dig them. They can just be yanked out. And if the roots come out, fine. If not, that's fine. Okay. It'll just decompose. And they also mentioned lilies. And I want to say, you don't want to pull those out. No, you want to cut those at the base. Just cut them back. The... Oriental and Asiatic lilies will eventually die back and you just cut them at the base. Day lilies oftentimes don't until really late winter into early spring. And so you may end up cleaning up the day lilies in the spring. Uh, next listener would like to know, can they use the leaves that have been treated with weed seeds for mulching? Now what? Well, I think they. I think they're talking about, well, weed I'm killer. not sure if they're talking about weed killer or whether they're talking about... Um, greenery that has been has weeds mixed in with it so address both both of if it's had weed killer applied they'd need to look at the label you know something like glyphosate after a couple of weeks yes if it's 2,4-D or dicamba those always go to the landfill you know as far as that goes you know like a lawn weed killer i would not put into my compost but uh, if it's glyphosate maybe you could now if it's been treated anytime you have weed seeds Unless you are sure that you're heating that compost pile up to 140 or 150 degrees, I would just leave them out of my compost pile. Okay. Next listener would like to know, is there anything that homeowners can do now to help reestablish a healthier lawn? This person is listening in Bountiful, and they say they have a lot of weeds. Well, it's they could do a lawn weed killer over the weekend before the temperatures drop again. That would be one thing they could fertilize, but a lot of the renovation would need to take place in the spring when the lawn is actively growing again. If they do a lawn weed killer, they wouldn't want to put seed down and they would wait for spring to do that. Okay. Uh, next person says, if lawn is overseeded in November, should the seeds be covered with mulch or soil? It's not as important because it's cooler. And as long as we get regular snow and rain, it won't be an issue because snow cover will do it. And frost heaving is that ground freezes, the water expands in the soil and it forces the soil up a little bit and then it thaws out. And so some just natural frost heaving will get a lot of that seed covered too. Okay. We need to take a break for the bottom of the hour news. When we come back, Stephen and Evelyn, you are up next. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can also text us your questions, 57500. A gun in the face. 
Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.